That's right, that's right, that's right. It is time once again for the best show about movies on the internet that you are watching right now. Movie Night Extravaganza! Tonight, a very special episode, The Breakfast Club. We continue our Coming of Age Month, which the classic John Hughes movie. So uh, I'm looking forward to this. This should be a good time. Jay Andrew World, I see you. Kind of Friends Andy has. Jay Andrew, Kind of Friends Andy has World. Yes, uh, artist, illustrator, uh, quote giver. <laughs> that that about that about sum it up. I, I suppose <laughs> Ben Burgess collaborator, uh, uh, dude at large on the internet. What's what's the movie you're, you're watching today with the uh, the the bear bear force bear one? force one? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, my God. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I, I found I watched it in 2014 and I'm like, I don't remember this movie, so I need to rewatch it. And I rewatch it. And I'm like, yeah, that was um that was that was a movie. I, I it's astounding to me that you not only watch Bear Force One, but you watch it twice because you forgot watching it the first time. That's uh Yes. Kind of says everything you need to know. Uh but yeah, so Breakfast Club. You excited to talk about this movie? Uh, indeed, indeed. I remember um uh, you know, wanting to be Bender, uh, but realizing I was nothing but Ali Sheedy in high school. This is, this is not <laughs> forcing to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Christina Oaks, a basket case. I'm Christina on Twitch, uh, all over the internet and all, and all the various places. I see you. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Let's go. Love the outfit. You're uh, clearly going the extra mile here, which is which is good, and that's appreciated. Yeah, I love this movie. It's one of my favorite. It's like my top five favorite movies of all time. Now, now what you don't know is in the last five minutes, we're going to give you a makeover and make you look boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What what a crime! Not only for the establishment of uh, trope, but just because I don't know. I I I feel like it's a just. Could not it's be so listened. bad. Like that's the, the ultimate downgrade of movie in cinema history was when yeah. they gave her a makeover. I was like, "Fuck!" Yeah. It's like, you, oh, you, like you look more normal. Great. You, all she needed was a dandruff shampoo. Come on, people! Like <laughs> exactly. That's all. That's all Allison needed. Just throw some head and shoulders and call it a day. It's enough. You don't uh, need to yes. go like uh, she has luscious hair. Why even do anything else with it? 
yeah, it's 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 a travesty. <laughs> That's the thing. I I dropped a full star for that, frankly, because I, I was like, this this is this is you know, want to talk about violence? This is violence by my sensibilities. <laughs> uh, yes, of course, not not to make light of the actual uh, you know uh, massive amounts of boy that didn't age well uh, aspects All of the certain scenes. <laughs> All the slurs. Uh, fun exercise, as as the crew knows, is that I, I, for whatever reason, I can tell you the reason. The reason is laziness. I watch a cable version of it uh, on AMC. You don't have Peacock. Uh, I we got. It. I, I honestly, I just this is how lazy I was. I didn't feel like changing the Roku to go to go to the Peacock. <laughs> That's how I was like. Oh, it's already on here. I was watching it here. Uh, but yeah, no curses, which I feel like one lame. of the things that make. That makes this totally lame. That makes this authentic as a film is because teenagers curse a lot, especially as they're sort of figuring themselves out and whatnot. So yeah, lots of flip you, you know, flip that, <laughs> flip off, um, bleep like silencing or bleeping when there's like a slur. Yeah, and just like you see their mouth moving where they're clearly not saying the thing that they're supposed to be saying. Like, and it's, I feel like it almost would have been better to do no attempt at all. But, uh, yeah. you know, they, they, they certainly did. And uh, that's that's where we're at. Uh, John Ross, hello. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Hilda That's my buddy right there. Oh, wow. Let's see. John Ross says, I was more in between Anthony Michael Hall and Ali Sheedy's character. Okay, yeah, I believe you. I think, um, you know, it's. I, I was thinking about this and thinking about in terms of like the the classic psychological profiles that everyone you know kind of goes under, and it's almost like the the fact. That, so first of all, let's start with the fact that we we've looked at a lot of movies that the characters sort of eschew genre stereotypes. They're very well rounded. They, uh, they there's a growth to their arc. Uh, you discover more about them as time goes on, and I kind of feel like this is this is the opposite of that. This this is sort of like everyone's complete stereotype. Yeah, and uh, it's all the more noticeable to me. And again, with this in this situation, we moved backwards, so it makes sense, right? Uh, that this is one of the movies that's that kind of like propagated some of those stereotypes because you got the, you got the jock, you got like the burnout, you got the nerd. You have the popular girl and you have like, you know, the, the outcast. An athlete, like it's, you know, all, the major stereotypes from a high school. Yeah. And, and I feel like that has evolved somewhat that those stereotypes still exist. But when you think of things like, you know, the trope of the, of, of like, oh, it's the nerdy girl, but then she takes off her glasses and she's hot, like that kind of thing. It's like that that finger of blame firmly goes over to John John Hughes, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like yeah. that's yeah, that's that, pretty in pink, right? He created <laughs> those stereotypes. Big, yeah, they're they're stereotypes that were created and propagated and continue to <laughs> haunt our cinematic experiences uh, even now. And another thing is like. You know, the whole uh, Molly Ringwald falling for the asshole kind of thing, too, where it's like, yeah, where did that come been, from? There's been so many videos about, like, the bad boy and, like, you know, the bad boy tropes and, you know, how they're actually really they're that they need to be saved by the good girl and blah, 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 blah. And according to uh, some video essay, I'm a femme cell by who, what type of music that I listen to. 
So I'm like, great, great. Another stereotype to, uh, to fit in the long list. I'm a weirdo girl. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a punk girl. I'm a mm-hmm. theater nerd. And now I'm a femme cell, which is great. <laughs> Fem, do you say femme cell? Is that, is that, yes. is that, is that a real term? The main, yeah, it's a real term. The main Amazing. thing about, I'm like, yeah, but I'm not like frustrated about the lack of sex in my life. So I'm like, isn't that like the main component of being one? <laughs> so I'm like, something's wow. off here. You can, t- you can tell I'm not on the internet nearly as much as some folks that on this show because I, that's a new one for me. Uh, but yeah, like like with the whole thing, and, and there's like this, a very specious, and actually I was looking for that on this rewatch because I was like, because I, I know, you know, there's like John Hughes discourse on the internet. I'm not immune to that, right? And uh, and uh, like, the, like the whole, like it's also like the, like when he's underneath the desk, it's like, yeah, that's sexual assault, my guy. Like that's that's like actually not, in any yeah. way, shape, or form. That's not funny. That's just fucked up. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but with the explanation of, oh, well, you know, it'll really, you know, if you dated me, it'd be really drive them crazy. It's like, cool. Then maybe you should have been establishing that for the rest of the film. Well, <laughs> because also, that kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, also, didn't John, I don't know if John Hughes wanted this, but didn't John Nelson also try to like make Raleigh, Molly Ringwald's like time on set like a living hell just to like, really create like that animosity towards the characters really oh so like kind of like a uh suicide squad prequel <laughs> but the funny thing is the characters go back and forth though especially towards the end to liking each yeah. other agreeing with each other then, then hating each other and calling each other out but um the f- interesting thing about the breakfast club is the fact that i believe they filmed saint almost fire joel schumacher's coming of age film mm, yeah with john nelson ali sheedy um and uh, Emilio Estevez, and they play completely different characters. So when you're watching those two big films from 1985, you're like, wait a minute, he Bender, John <laughs> Bender is playing a yuppie, a Republican? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Ali Sheedy's playing like his fiance, and she's all about right. like commitment and blah, 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 blah. And basically, Emilio Estevez plays somewhat of like a loser in uh, St. Elmo's Fire. And I'm like, what the fuck is, are these two different films for? Which is which is way different from this film, and, and as much as uh, you know, as, as in in high school, my, personally, it might surprise people to know that I was, I was basically a, you know, three fifths Anthony Michael Hall, like one fifth Bender, and by looks, honestly, I even had that sweatshirt. Like I had that haircut, I had that sweatshirt. I just wasn't a jock, like, like at all. But like, I, I that's something I noticed this time. I was like. Hey, where did that sweatshirt go? Do I still have that? Like, do I have that somewhere? Because because that is my favorite color. Um, but I think that I've I've seen people. I mean, I've seen the memes. I've seen the what character from Breakfast Club are you quizzes, whatever. But it is interesting that by them being ostensibly stereotypes that have like a limited uh, cross personality uh, propagation, it allows people to see, if not themselves, people that they knew in high school where people were still sort of defining the identities. And because of that, it becomes a tabula rosa, right? Where you can kind of re, you can project what you want into it. And I think that that's actually kind of fascinating. And that's more fascinating than the actual discourse, but the idea that could be that discourse. Welcome, Forrest. Welcome to the show. Glad you can make it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. John Ross saying, Nelson bullied Ringwald off camera and nearly led Hughes to fire him. But Paul Gleason convinced him to keep Nelson, claiming he didn't mean anything by it how the story goes okay. oh yeah now that remember because i remember uh paul gleason was involved somehow and also this movie is parodied a lot 
if we ever remember yes. not another teen movie, they brought back Paul Gleason for that specific scene where they do the uh, the Breakfast Club bit. Yeah, and and that's actually searching for the in the letterbox one-liners for this movie was kind of a chore because there were so many people referencing the many references to it where i'm like announcing a reference does not make it funny sorry yeah. guys <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah. yes yeah with well, that wonderful line you know where the teacher says to the student i'm going to knock your dick into the dirt <laughs> yeah well, he says when, when you graduate to be fair yeah like, and, 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 he has he's a thirty thousand dollar uh you know Thirty-one. Yeah, boy, which is astounding, right? Where it's like, oh, and he owns. He's was he talks about owning a house too. It's like I'm thirty-one thousand dollars a year. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I, I uh, we're, we're, we're the wrong the, age. Uh, the calculator there. That that's uh, eighty-eight thousand a year uh, now. Which uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we like a mortgage and stuff. Um, that I picked up on that. And I was like thirty-one thousand. You make thirty-one thousand dollars a year as a as yeah. a. What I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, wait a minute, it's 1985. Reagan's, you know, it's, yeah. it's the economic boom of the 80s. I'm like, of course, <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's, it's, it's a class, it's it, this is the 80s sop, right? That we threw in the coming of age month because you can't, you got to have at least one. There's so many coming of age movies in the 80s, most of which, honestly, for my, for my taste, are fucking terrible, besides like, some of John Hughes films, <laughs> yeah. Like, but the John Hughes stuff, like, problematic in some yeah. cases, but like. As films go, pretty good. Although there is holes like, why is Anthony Michael Hall the only one he gets to make out with this is the paper? We're just like, it's a, it's a very excellent paper that he, like he wrote. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I have a thing where he talks about that. Good. Justice for Anthony Michael Hall. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, but, but hey, he, he, was the bad, he was the bad guy. He was the fucked up bully jock in Edward Scissor's hand. He was. He was also uh, Johnny Smith in um, the Dead Zone TV series. I'm pulling yeah. an Andy on you right now, but the, the Dead Zone TV series is actually pretty good. I never watched. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. No, it was just, um, it started when I was in college, if I remember correctly. So, like, I just kind of missed the beginning of it. And I'm just like, eh, well, whatever. Anthony <laughs> Michael Hall also in the most recent Halloween movie, the second uh, Halloween the Kills. Halloween Kills. Yeah. The, the one that came out right after we did Halloween. Proper. Also, too, I think he's still considered one of the youngest SNL because he was on SNL for like. That's Because right, they, they had that one year where they had actors where they're like, yes. oh, we're just going to have actors on now. Well, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. is still considered the worst. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. I forgot he was in that, too. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, but let's. Uh, Forrest, saw, let's uh, the only clip I saw of uh, his one of his SNL appearances, it was him and Robert Downey Jr. in the in the uh, thumbnail hanging out next to each other. And I was like, oh, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. was in was in the. Uh, it's on SNL too, for a bit. Oh my God, Johnny, be good. Jesus, I forgot all about that. Oh wow! <laughs> that was, that, Man, he really just... tried to get away from the nerd stare. I mean, good for him though. Well, well I mean, yeah, exactly. he, he, he also like went through a growth spurt through the movie. So if you notice, like from scene to scene, he changes heights. because <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> he was literally the youngest. Per like I think Judd Nelson was the oldest of the team because he yeah. was like. 30? I don't know, something like that. 25, 30. <laughs> and like, Andy Michael, he could go to school Spider Man. We're still the young, we're considered the youngest. Right. Hey, so I hope I cut this together correctly um, because, you know, I, I wanted to introduce a clip of our good friend, Bobby Wynan. Uh, yes. Judd Nelson. But the thing is that she, I guess it was a remote interview or something. So she filmed the two things separately. So I literally had to go in and cut each uh, each part of the like like her answer 
And then, you did more work than our actual production department, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, whatever, ain't no one watching this, throw it up. And there was a bunch of different, like, you could choose her answers, because she always does it at the end where she does the question multiple times. Oh, yeah, it, it's like her, her uh, <laughs> you guys remember, um, she's doing adventure books? Or is that to uh, Gen X? I do. I do remember. <laughs> they made a comeback, uh, believe it or not, a few years ago. As well, they should. It's a great format. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Goosebumps did it. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Yes. They tried right. to do it. They kind of did a uh, that Bandersnatch Netflix um, Black Mirror yeah. special. Was yeah, They yeah, yeah. kind of tried to do that and it kind of worked. It kind of it kind of just gave me flashbacks for playing. Um, certain types of video games where I don't, I'm not a video game player anymore, but I got a little bit of anxiety a couple times. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> 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 I, I, I turned this on to, you know, to watch something. I'm trying to relax. I'm not trying to be stressed out here. <laughs> when I, when I said, when I said I support the right to choose, I didn't mean here. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, By the way, just voted. That's why I'm late. Speaking of which, <laughs> you voted up and down the line for the anti-choice candidates, right? Yeah. <laughs> No, so it's the first uh, special. It's election. New York, Florida, and uh, Oklahoma, I think. But our so our congressman resigned uh, in order to become our lieutenant governor. So the, right. the guy uh, Pat Ryan, who is, I mean, his campaign so far is not very good because he threw it together at the last minute. Most generic shit you'll ever see in your life. But uh, he's done an, an excellent job during COVID. Um, uh, you know, he, he was doing the briefings every day. He'd tell you how many number, like how many people were, whatever. They actually made legislation to uh, start trying to figure out how a Green New Deal could be implemented in Ulster County. So he's actually been good on policy as our executive. But uh, yeah, not good commercials. They're all him holding a gun, and he's like, "I was a veteran. I was a veteran. I was a veteran. I was a veteran." And his signs literally—they don't say what party he's like running for. It just says "veteran for Congress" and big. <laughs> Fantastic. This is it's like something out of Bob Roberts. <laughs> we should be covering an election month, but that's not Bobby. So let's, not, let's look at Bobby. It's Bobby Roberts. <laughs> Bobby Roberts? <laughs> <laughs> it's the movie where, where Bobby Wyatt becomes president. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it's, it's more plausible than Trump. All right. Roll it. Judd, this character is nothing like you. The two of you have very different backgrounds. How did you know how to play him and how he would feel? Well, Bobby, it's called acting. <laughs> well, I think that most of the material that you need to build a character is within the script. And the script that we got for this film, written by John Hughes, is, is so, so fertile and so, so just ridden with, with all these ideas, ideas and all the nuance and all the action and all the ingredients that I needed to build the character were in the actual script. This character is somewhat of a punk, and the one you played in Fandango is a nerd. Would, wouldn't you call him a nerd? Uh, yes, I would say he is kind of a nerd, yes. How would you describe yourself? Well, I guess that I'm uh, made up of both of them and none of them. I don't mean to sound as ambiguous as I do, but uh, I don't know where I stand. I don't know if I'm one or the other, or maybe both, or, or maybe something else. Well, I think that, I, that I'm a hard worker. I mean, uh, there wasn't, there wasn't I like what I do for a living. I would like to continue doing that, so I pursue that. Uh, Are you fun? Am I fun? 
Uh, yes. Yes, I am fun. God. I hope I'm fun, you know. I have some friends. What was it like for you, a Yankee, to come to West Texas to make a movie? Well, when I first got there, it seemed to me quite barren and rather bland. But through the course of my stay in West Texas, which I think amounted to about 13 weeks, uh, I actually grew to love Texas. I'm a big fan of mesquite and coyotes now. How'd you get along with the spiders and the snakes? I didn't see any tarantulas. I'm not a big fan of spiders myself, but I like snakes and I saw some rattlesnakes. I, in fact, got to eat some rattlesnake. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> yep, there you go. That is still better than some shows on the internet about movies and interview shows. <laughs> that guy, that guy, that guy played John Bender in The Breakfast Club. Yeah. I, it was I, acting. So, I, so when I was rewatching uh, Mallrats, uh, there was that character that's supposed to be Dante Hicks' cousin, who sounds like mm -hmm. this, and his his real voice, like I don't know, but the his, like Jed Nelson's real voice sounds like the voice that fucking the guy that played Dante did in <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's got like kind of a, this very like pr practice sounding voice, which is like, what? What are you doing exactly? <laughs> it was I a, would say it was I'm fine, but on the other hand, <laughs> and I just love the fact that she works in like you, a Yankee in Texas. Yeah. Well, what's that about? What's the deal yeah. with that? Well, I had rattlesnake and it tastes like chicken. Yeah. Oh, That's exactly how it sounded in that interview. I want everybody Imagine to stop. Imagine if you use his regular <laughs> to play Bender. It oh, was a yeah. like it was a better year at the old Bender house. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's Bender? Bender? I got a I got a uh, you know carton of cigarettes. <laughs> I, I want that on Futurama next time because he certainly makes a better android. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ben, uh, yeah, ben, I, I as that. that bender, yeah, yeah. Well, now, Judd Nelson does a lot of Lifetime movies, believe it or not. <laughs> no, I believe it. Uh, so, I think that so we were kind of halfway for us talking about before you joined up of you know the, the idea of like there being stereotypes, like like we saw a lot of movies that eschew stereotypes and sort of like you know blow them up in some case recently. But then going back to the eighties, it's like oh yeah. Why don't we watch one of the movies that helped establish one of those stereotypes for for some of these? It's the uh, it's the Halloween of uh you know of the <laughs> company of, of, of age comedies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, uh, but in some ways, it you know it, it also uh, it doesn't blow those up, obviously. But like the point of it is that all these characters have more in common than they. Uh... Yeah, it's Gil Hicks, by the way. Thanks for saying that, John Ross. But um, uh, yeah, no, they have more in common than and but like don't realize it, which is a very real, I think, feeling. Well, it, it works because it works as a film. Like it, it comes together, and even though the narrative is like by today's standards is considered almost like you know sort of basic or like hokey, even like you know no, it was it was formative for a reason. People come back to it for a reason. The simplicity is what again certain things, especially some of the language did not age well in any way, shape, or form. But you can see either yourself or people you know within the various characters. Like, for instance, I was, um, you know, I was more of, more of a Brian in high school as far as, like, looks, but, like, with uh, a little bit of 
bender attitude, but you know, not the casual like racism, misogyny, et cetera, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you didn't, you didn't get down under any uh, any deaths, and then like I, I did not. <laughs> but, but I had literally the the Andrew sweatshirt, that blue sweatshirt. I and I had it actually for a very long time. I was wondering where it went. But I think people can see at least at the very least see people that they knew and the fact you know like i think the message ultimately is uh pretty strong in the fact that they managed to overcome their what they have uh it's different from each other by going to you know, this communal experience of you know hey like everything's not hunky-dory for any of them even for some that's more explicit than others i think that's what kind of connects with folks still yeah well yeah. i mean and then there's the i mean the scene that i think really sticks out to me is when um uh, Andrew admits that he, uh, you know, Jander World over here. Uh, and Andrew admits that he hates his dad, and he's like, "My dad keeps yeah. pushing me and pushing me, and I'm not naturally the kind of person who would tape buns together." Which I don't know why not. He's, that's fucking hilarious. But, <laughs> but like, you know, classic hijinks in the locker room. Let me tell you. But uh, um, yeah, the only time I got suspended from school was some hijinks in the locker room. So I, you know, I relate to that. Um, not not that, but I didn't for yeah, stop didn't taping one. buns together. Buns together like a, but, uh, somebody really annoyed. Stop like, naming me nuts. And, me and me and one of my friends like poured Gatorade and Axe into their locker so that when they came, it was just sticky as fuck. <laughs> and I got sweated for that. Maybe you're the Andrew of this show. But uh, <laughs> yeah. definitely not. But um, but uh, yeah. So I I feel that like. He, you know, he's more empathetic than his father is, obviously, and he's trying to live up to that. And there's the line where yeah. Bender's like, you're, uh, your dad and my dad should hang out and go bowling sometimes. Yeah. And, and you realize that, like, yeah, like, obviously, both dads are abusive pieces of shit in different ways. In different one ways, them, yeah. Yeah, one of them just wants his son to win so badly that he doesn't care about anything else. And he's willing to, like, turn his son into a machine, basically. Yeah, it's the only way he knows how to express his love, uh, yeah. which is quite toxic, but, you know... Uh, it's a socially acceptable toxicity. And, ben, yes. and Bender's dad just—I really don't know what he wants out of him. Maybe just to just, be more respectful, not a piece of shit. I don't know. I don't know. They don't yeah, give well, enough he, to, to Bender's dad, really. Like, like he's just—you um, know—I mean, if he's—it's—it's—it's like, it's, it's pretty clear to me that like there's probably some mutually assured destruction going on there, right? I yeah, mean, like, like he probably fights back. Like you know, the whole "do I stutter?" Like you know, the whole like incident yeah. where he's like, "This is a cigar mark from you know spilling paint in the garage." Yeah, like stuff like that. Like he probably so he consider the fact that like you know his dad's probably drinking too, right? And then yeah. like he's needle, he's being needled too. It's not to say that the guy's like you know completely. He, he doesn't get dropped but... off. By his dad, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know where Emilio Estevez's dad does, and you can tell like like his dad really does care, yeah. but like it's a, it's a, a kind of an abusive care, so it, it, it complicates the whole the whole relationship. Yeah, I, I I kind of view Bender's home life as like both parents are just not there, like they're not responsible people. <laughs> probably does listen to Eric Rocks. You're probably right about that. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, but so the thing that's interesting, and again, I think that there's a lot of culture and cinema that spends far too long deifying the asshole. But I mean, Bender's not a dummy. Like yeah. he's a smart guy. It's just what he uses that is is to be like a low, low grade antagonist, the enemy of everyone, and and be a smart ass constantly to no purpose or end goal other than catharsis. So he's basically should be on Twitter. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is, this is, uh, John Hughes talking about the inspiration that he drew from 
the character of Bender. Uh, it's it's audio only, which kind of I wish it wasn't, but it's one of we'll, those, we'll move. So you know, <laughs> it's one of those AFI things where it's like he was giving a lecture to a bunch of people, and it came up in a, in a question and answer thing. Um, we can, uh, I was gonna say we can we can make his our uh, hand puppets. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't have much luck here. I went to New York. I'd heard about this guy that was doing something in Memphis or somewhere in Tennessee, something that was doing making the grade, which I saw for the first time last week, which was very strange. And uh, he was late. I was waiting around, and Michael was there. Michael's in Catholic school at the time, and he had his, his blue pants and his shirt and his tie, and sitting there waiting for this guy. And, like the door, this office in MC, the door burst open. This guy came in, and he, like, his pants were all torn, and he's they, they had the same boots he wore in a movie on. And he was just messing his bag. And he threw this stuff down. He said, I've been up all night on a plane. And he just turned right to Michael and started doing bender on him. He was bang, bang, <laughs> slapping Michael. And was gone in 10 minutes. He finished the scene, got up, said, I see you later. I got to catch a plane. I looked at Michael and Michael was And I said, uh, okay, I think that's the guy. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, he was terrible. He just, Beat up Michael and the whole thing. And I said, but I still, I like to see this guy again. Michael said, yeah, he's a nice guy. <laughs> I was, and I, I moved to ICM as an agency. And Hildy Gottlieb, who was her agent, sent me this uh, eight by 10. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I really, I really talking to my hat. You know. I have this sort of freckle faced, girl you know it looked like becky from huck finn you know? <laughs> and it was molly i think it was before tempest you know it was just sort of the it was one step above those you ever see those head sheets where the kids you know are like this you know they have like five pictures and they're holding a peanut butter thing and they look real goofy it was like the one right after that sort of the uh the young teen photo and i put it up on the bulletin board and i have a word processor and it was bulletin board and i put it up there and i was writing 16 candles and i'd seen a rough cut of vacation and I really liked Michael. I thought Michael was great. You know, he stole a scene from Chevy Chase, which is like you know, a major thing. Um, and so I had Michael in mind when I was writing The Geek, and I had Molly in mind, this girl who I'd never met. I said, you know, she doesn't look like that. You know, looks like Norman Rockwell, you know. And uh, I finished the script. I told Hildy that I'd like to meet this girl. So I met she and her mother at, uh, at the studio. And she's like this normal high school girl. She sort of sat like this, you know. And she's like a regular girl, you know. And I, I, I liked her a lot. And uh, I said, okay, but it was my first one. I was going to be double, I was going to double check everything and be overly cautious. So I read everybody in LA and then went to New York and we read. And I came back and I read Molly again. And no one was anywhere near Molly. And I said, okay, this would be fine. And she was, uh, you know, she turned out great. So, you know, I've done two with her and I'm doing another one this summer with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we barely talked about Molly Ringwald, which is astounding. Yeah, I guess that's not the one where he talks about, I guess it's the part one clip where he talks about how he came up with the idea for the Bender character, but um, that's how you can tell. It's all audio. If you don't tag it, you never know. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, this this is this is one of the iconic Molly Ringwald, Ringwald roles, right? Yeah. I mean, it's It's as as much as compared to like modern standards, she really isn't given as much to do as 
you know, she would have, I'm sure if it was. Yeah, the last really major thing she was in was in Secret Life of the American Teenager. She played the mother of Shailene Woodley. Right. Well, what, she, wasn't she in Riverdale? Yeah, that too. Yeah, she was uh, Archie's mother, I think. I don't know. I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she came out against some of the stuff in the, in the you know, in John Hughes movies that she had to do. In the I 80s. was going to bring it up if you weren't going to. Yeah, like she, there, that came out like a ways back. And uh, yeah, I, I get it and I understand and I agree. I mean, it's, you know, so like, I, I, again, there had people didn't have different morals back then. It just was people weren't called out in the same. Yeah. Way. yeah. So it, it's it's there's a line, right? And like you know, like if you're making something, and and we've talked on this show about how you know there's nothing that happens explicitly like that here, but like something like Straw Dogs or something where like rape is an inciting factor to the to the story. Uh, usually in like a Phrygian sort of scenario, which is how it affects the male character. Like that was, that was all over the place in the seventies, especially. Mm. And then like everyone just dislocated themselves, uh, their shoulders, pat themselves on the back in the eighties when it's like, Oh no, but there's no rapes here. It's just implied sexual assault. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's, that's way better. (laughs) Well, it's implied, I guess, you know, (laughs) So I mean I don't know I gotta I don't necessarily want to like drive the conversation over there but I think it has to be addressed right we got we got to talk about that a little bit. I mean, so this this is uh, Molly Ringwald giving a, a an interview um, and then we could talk about like you know how like I'll look up the article where she talks about um, you know the, the the changes that she wishes have been made to these movies and but this is her talking at the actual film premiere about the role and. How she sees it, which is kind of weirdly, she wants uh, Job of the Hut to be CGI'd in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The Hollywood premiere of The Breakfast Club was attended by its young stars, including Judd Nelson, Ali Sheedy, Anthony Michael Hall, Emilio Estevez, and its writer director, John Hughes. We were more interested in getting to know Molly Ringwald, the youngest female lead. It's about five kids that are in high school detention for one day. They're all complete opposites. And it's about how they deal with each other for eight hours. And you are Claire. Claire Standish, mm-hmm. who is the, the richest, most aristocratic young girl. <laughs> She's the prom queen, homeroom queen. Oh, very popular. You know, comes from old money. You, are you anything like Claire? No, we're like night and day. Sushi. She's really the girl that you grow up hating. You know, I mean, guys are afraid of her, and girls can't stand her because she seems like this perfect untouchable. And uh, that's what I found so difficult about playing her, and that's what attracted me to her. She's a lot different from me. I mean, there are certain similarities, but not really. I mean, I've played other characters that are a lot more similar. I would imagine you'd be the envy of most of your classmates because here you are in movies that are going all over the world. That could be. I don't know. I don't really know. I, I, as far as I know, I get along pretty well with people in my class. And, you know, maybe they, they feel a little bit that way for a little bit. But then once you get to know me, I don't think it's, it's really valid. I like actors that um, can work, you know, in an ensemble. 
they're serious about it. You know, they're not thinking about money or People magazine covers. You know, I mean, like that are are actors because they like to act, and, and their motivation in life is becoming a better actor. I'd worked with Molly on Sixteen Candles, and I like working with her very much. She's very intuitive, very instinctual. It's very natural. You know, I mean, Molly didn't need to take classes. I mean, Molly was just born an actress. It is a job. That's all it is. You know, it's like being a doctor. It's like being a, a singer. It's anything else. It's, it's a job. I don't think that. I don't know. I just don't think that that actors, you know, or producers should be placed on a pedestal. There's there's really not a big point in that. Wow, some outro. Anyway, uh, so intelligent <laughs> for her age. And they had that weird like remix of uh, of. <laughs> Yeah, I really hope we don't get uh, you know, I hope that we don't get pinged for that. Yeah, but. If we get taken down for that, that would be that. That'd be that'd be like in like Godzilla versus Kong when there's those big insects and like the guy doesn't get killed by Godzilla or King Kong, but by one of those lame insect things. And be like, you got killed by that thing. You should feel ashamed of yourself. If you weren't dead. Thank you. Although speak of the way, music, uh, super chats are on. I I, I want to say we have not gotten one yet. If you want to be our first super chat. The That's first uh, monetary uh, <laughs> thing that we get from this show, uh, you know, feel free. Ask us a question. Uh, you know, also become uh, a member. We 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 got we yeah, can we have members we, now. On, that's on too. But you know, uh, tell us about your favorite butt rock. Uh, tell us about a time that you um, you know take some attention together. Um, <laughs> you know, and anything you really want to tell us, if yeah. you give us a super chat, we will read it. We will adopt your baby. Give me a super chat and I won't talk about uh, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone with Molly Ringwald. Please send a super chat. Oh, my God. There you go. There's the incentive right there. Please send a super chat. Oi. Oi, Question, though. Did you guys have your own breakfast club moment growing up? Because my moment was actually in uh, freshman year of high school when when I took study hall. Mm. And... I was the Allison. It we had we we literally had the you know popular like cute like jockey type. We had the we had the Claire. I was the Allison. We didn't really have a bender, but like this girl liked smoking weed and like rolling joints during like study hall. And Coach Buck, God bless his soul, didn't care. And then there was there was me. And we all had our moments. We all like there was times where the girl would cry about something, you know, going on at home life or whatever. Uh, like it was, it was, it was actually. I, I literally was like, I'm like, I'm like Allison for the Breakfast Club. I'm like the weirdo, just like you for real. Yeah, it was great. Um, I don't, I don't think I ever went to detention. I got, uh, I got suspended once and had to go home for some swim team hazing shit, right? punch somebody back taping buns together well like I, I was getting like hazed as a freshman on the swim team as i was tiny yeah, man, i made the mistake of like punching somebody back after they dead legged me and then they were like well he punched me back and then i got fucking taken down even though these were like state champion swimmers doing yes yeah, slavic <laughs> logic yeah exactly oh uh, but i got i and then i got iss that one like in school suspension that time for the locker thing I don't think I ever got detention. And besides that, I didn't really get into, I mean, I got into trouble outside of school, but I didn't get into trouble in school. I was yeah. kind of checked yeah, out. You didn't get to hang day. out with a group of different people from school who were in trouble for different things then. 
No, I uh, I only got detention in junior high. Um, got suspended once for uh, breaking a dude's nose for using the N-word. Um, hey, that's a good – hey. The teacher thanked me. Like, like she's like, I'm sorry, you got to get Thank suspended. You. Here's your detention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's like, exactly. well, nobody liked the kid. Um, uh, he just uh, was always trying to pick fights and just like uh, – Dropped the N word and I dropped him. Nice. Two hits. You dropped the N word. <laughs> then, you, then you dropped to the floor. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like, I would be that teacher. Basically, that'd like, be three hits because you have to strike him at one point, too. All right. I, mean, I would hit. be that teacher. You dropped the N word. You dropped the N word. Me, me, you, you hit the floor. <laughs> I, would, I, I, I would be like that teacher, be like, you know what? He started. He's getting attention. Not not the guy that actually punched a dude for saying the N word. I would be like, no, the guy who's gotten punched is the one that's you know detention, suspension yeah. for them. Well, it, it, they also paddled at that school too. So so uh, I've gotten wow. Yeah. Oh shit. That school in the 1940s. Jesus, dude. This is Texas. This is Texas. Basically, then. <laughs> Uh, I was only in detention one time and surprising exactly no one. It's because I smarted off in class and then doubled down and mm-hmm. I did not care for it. Off in class, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's, is, does that seem like it's in character for me? <laughs> no, you so. smart. I don't know. It's the only other off I could think You could have said nothing. <laughs> Waxing off? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I was just, I was. You know, just being being a smart aleck, and and, and the re- and honestly, to this day, I think the reason why I got I got detention is because like I not only made the entire class laugh at the teacher's expense, I did it twice, uh, and, and the the details themselves don't matter. But I, yeah, that's and, and it wasn't even it could have been a lot meaner too. Let's put it that way. But I I learned pretty quickly. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that again because it was not like the Breakfast Club at all. <laughs> it was just a bunch of kids being quiet and annoyed that they're having to be there. And, oh um, man! So I had the only, only remotely like close to a breakfast club experience then. Yeah, go yeah. me. I, I remember going through school thinking that was eventually going to happen to me, and and uh, never really <laughs> did. The movies uh, lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, movie? He's saying um, these movies, these movies are fake. <laughs> I although I still have the uh, the art bin I used to carry around from class to class. Because I, I had kept all my art supplies with me. And, bin? Uh, yeah, but you had a bin. I had a bin. bin. Yeah, yeah. So I could carry my inks, okay. my brushes. Oh, I had all your stuff. Okay, all right. Got yeah, it. yeah. So so literally like... Most like, people use a portfolio, but Andy's got a bin. I don't know. He's, no, yeah. I, I had the portfolio too. I had a portfolio <laughs> backpack and an art bin. And it was just going to class to class like that. I spent a lot of time hanging out with my other sort of deviant rocker friends. Uh, in, in our own little area, and then we would go to Clay's car and blast like obnoxious punk rock music very loudly, mm-hmm. listen and listen to records or technically speaking cassette tapes, um, which apparently was loud enough that everyone was like, "Oh yeah, th- those are the guys that go and listen to that weird music in the parking lot." <laughs> like, oh, okay. well, how weird that was happening in like the Breakfast Club when they're actually in school, like right, right, which is sort of like. Is, is is he not hearing this? Like in, when he's like, like I mean, I guess he's too busy holding court downstairs with a janitor and like looking through his personnel files. But sort of like, I feel like you would have heard that music. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuff, by the way. Well, the song is the, that the female singer is Carla DeVito, who is the wife of Robbie Benson, who's known for uh, voicing the Beast in the anime Beauty and the Beast. And uh, 
I should have let her know about this episode. That was a lot of information I wasn't ready for, but yeah. We're talking about The Breakfast Club. Of course, your song is, you know, very popular, like besides, you know, Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. I mean, that's her song. Fun thing, uh, that song was written for Billy Idol. And it was Billy Idol's producer who uh, recorded that song. And uh, Billy Idol's supposed to come in, but he's just like, I'm not, I'm not feeling the song. But like, if you think about it, you could totally hear like, you know, oh, for sure. don't you forget about me. <laughs> the, the actor that plays Carl, the janitor. Can we, can, we, can we pause for a moment and appreciate Andy's Billy Idol impersonation, please? Yeah. Don't, don't you, don't you. <laughs> First of all, what is that accent? Can he just, He's can loving being a grandpa, though, from what I've heard. So that, good one, Billy Idol. No, Billy, Billy Idol. Idol's awesome. Imagine <laughs> Billy Idol being your grandpa. Yeah. Uh, have you seen his uh, Christmas album? I have not. Oh he has, God, he has an original Christmas song on there. I believe it's, you. It is. Um, there's a music video and everything. It is something to I actually believe that watch. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last thing I paid attention to with Billy Idol was uh, was a shock to the system, like his his, his cyberpunk. Uh, oh, yeah. Album. Yeah. That's what's so bad. <laughs> it's, it's pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looked I like, like everything else around that. It was like that Blade Matrix era of like everything. It was suddenly... before it, though. Like, like, yeah. But it had that look of like, you know, the black leather and like it looking like it should be like a like a techno industrial club. And, yeah. Like, some yeah, really was... regrettable special effects. It, it was like but it was a little ahead of its time, but also like not really good either. Yeah. You know, <laughs> ahead of its time, but also ahead of its time being terrible. Yeah. Uh, but this would be classic. Billy Idol's classic period. So the idea of him doing what is absolutely positively a song that is iconic and, and associated with them. That's it'd be interesting if that was a sliding door sort of situation. Do we have any, do we, was it, what were the other, was there any alternate casting? It sounded like John Hughes was pretty on point with. So I have, a, I, have a first, the movie. I have a first clip of him talking about casting as a two part. Yeah. Uh, Billy Idol's the only alternate casting I know of. <laughs> Billy Idol as Bender. This is, this is the first half of it. He, I think he was pretty on point about uh, who he yeah, wanted. Yeah, he kind of nailed it. So. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the Breakfast Club, when the two couples have paired off, sort of, you see the lose in Michael Anthony Hall. Why don't we give him a goodbye? Yeah, why did he get a chance? Well, his goodbye was really uh, in in his, in, yeah, in, it was in the letter, and it was in his, um, you know, the others in that group trusting him enough to let him represent them. Because you know? I mean, I figured I had five people, and I mean, everybody's got to get something, you know. And what's Michael going to get? Michael isn't ready. For, that character was not ready for girls. I mean, you could say. She's going to be your girlfriend. Well, I don't know. I'm really not, you know, I'm not ready for this yet. You know, maybe, you know, this is the kind of guy that, like, will get going maybe sophomore year in college, you know. He's just, you know, the, he's, the bus is left and then he's on his bike, you know. I mean, he's just not right there yet. So I think it would be uh, Gene Siskel wanted him to get Molly. I had a long conversation with him saying he should end up with Molly. I said, no, that's what you wish you know, going back to you, you wish, you know, <laughs> and, you know, because he said, well, I was, you know, I really identify with that character. I said, yeah, but the Breakfast Club was cast. Three of the five roles were cast uh, while I was doing 16 Candles. I wanted Michael and I wanted Molly. And I wanted Ali Sheedy because I seen Bad Boys. And was, she was so great in that movie. She was just fabulous. And it, 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 
It was, actually, it was a pretty good movie. I really, I really liked it. It got a little, you know, there's a, there a few acts of violence that were like a little gratuitous, but it was a really good movie. I yeah, you think? It. And she, I thought she was fabulous. She played this character that like completely stripped of her dignity and maintained her dignity or something. I just, and she'd come in to read on uh, Sixteen Candles, and the role was too small. And I thought, no, she's too good to play a role this small. I'll wait, you know. And so I, she was doing Oxford Blue. It's called in England, and I just called her at her hotel, and I, you know, she'd been sent the script, and I said, do you want to play? And she said, fine. I said, okay, I'll see you in February. So I, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even hear her read it until we were rehearsing. And uh, Emilio came in to read for Judd, Judd's part. And I was having a real hard time with that role because I, I was looking for a bland, a guy that was bland. I mean, his character has, it's a character whose, you know, motivation in life is to be like everybody else. You know, he's just, he has no no real character of his own, and I was having a hard time finding someone who could play that, you know, and play the looks right, you know. Not, be, I wanted somebody that could play that role, be in that movie, in part of that cast without ever opening his mouth. And um, I had Emilio. Emilio was reading off-camera stuff for somebody, and I was watching him. I wasn't watching the other person. And uh, he did such a great job. I remember, and I said, "Would you want to play Andy?" You know. And he said, well, I really like to play Judd. And I said, but I think, I think that you're like the only guy in the world who play Andy. So he, he agreed. And then Judd, uh, I had a hard time with that one, too, because I had to find someone who was a pretty reprehensible guy who said some pretty cruel things and said them repeatedly for a long period of time and really doesn't get redeemed until the very end. And I needed someone who could, you know, I sort of based him on a guy that I knew in high school who was just a horrible guy, but you just like to hang around with him. It was like a privilege to hang around with him and get insulted and you know <laughs> I mean, like you'd never leave your sister in the house with him alone or any money or out you know unprotected but you wanted to be around him and uh you know uh, uh speaking of alternate casting originally john cusack yep yep and joan and, and joan was gonna be yeah joan was gonna be in the uh, uh part of allison which is kind of crazy and uh, uh, actually, Wally Ringwald was also going to play Allison at one point. Uh, but she's like, no, I don't want to play that character. <laughs> and uh, less, Allison. That's true. Lesser known, Rick Moranis was going to be the janitor. Yes. Oh. I think we all found the same article. So, <laughs> what do you mean? I know there's stuff off the top of my head. Article. I know what you're my favorite thing is when he's like, when he's like, you know, you know, I, I've looked through your lockers and Bender like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like as that, but he's like, right. oh, he's cool though. He wouldn't rat me out because I, I, I mean, forgot that my walkers. one of my favorite lines in this is that really, really heavy moment with Brian where he's talking about how the reason he got suspended is for having a gun in his locker, and it's that moment where it's like, oh shit, like this, you know, it resonates with like this moment of you know, yeah, cool shootings and all that stuff, and then he's like, yep. a flare gun, and it actually went off, and then. Yeah, and everyone just starts to die because obviously you can't kill yourself with a. I mean, yeah, it's pretty. pretty dark. It's a pretty rough <laughs> chuckle to, to say the least. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah but, it, but it's, also, uh, it would be pretty impossible to kill. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure someone's killed themselves with a flare gun, but like, yeah. you'd like light your mouth on fire and then. <laughs> also, the scene where you know uh, where Bender flinches. When Vernon tries to punch him, that was Jundell to be authentic. He really thought that Paul Gleason was going to punch him in the face. He's like, <laughs> and I'm like, you really? 
Like that's how terrified he was. Like I think I think one time he was like, I don't know if it was like a commentary. But he was like, in that moment, I was terrified. I'm like, damn, dude. Let's do a little catch up here. So Stevie, there were similarities to the movie's principal and my high school vice principal. The only difference is that my vice principal banged one of his students in the chemistry lab and later married her. Oh God, I've heard I went that. to school with their kids. Whoa, wild! Uh, you know what though? Uh, my my uh, high school principal didn't marry the uh, kids he banged. Um. <laughs> I like the teachers that didn't marry the kids that they. Banged. I, I I know a few teachers <laughs> who married their students. Like like. Yeah. Yeah. He he was uh Harsh. uh he 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 uh was apparently very inappropriate with certain people. I I don't remember the the whole uh, all the details, but uh mm. uh I do remember him like always wandering around the halls and shaking hands with everybody. And when uh I did a political cartoon about uh the dress code of the school, um he he actually asked to keep it because he thought it was really good. Oh. So. <laughs> also, in the beginning, Anthony Michael Hall's mother and sister actually played his mother and sister. Right. You better go and study. <laughs> yeah. My my vice principal in high school was a lot like the one in Ferris Bueller's Day Off that like follows the kid home and everything. Is and that like, the guy oh, in the window yeah. right now? <laughs> but, but the, Actually, the only, he's on screen right now. <laughs> you know, the only difference, the only difference uh, between the two is that this guy was from Brooklyn and he had a Godfather poster like in his office and like all this like fake mafia stuff. So, so he, but he like he thought he was a cop, and I guess the the school. I mean, you know, these legends go around that who knows if they're true. But the legend was that he got fired from the last school that he worked at because he climbed a tree, waited for some kids that he knew was gonna smoke like weed underneath the tree, jumped down off the tree and landed on him, and like fucked the kid up. And <laughs> so, but like my uh, when when I got suspended though, it was like a, a meeting in his office, and he tried like. He would do the thing where he tried to seem like a like almost like a mob boss. And he'd sit back and he'd be like, <laughs> literally, literally. "Where's that music coming from?" <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't yeah, walking like, around the desk with a uh, like oh, the Brando the Brando poster behind him. He had a Goodfellas yeah. poster in his uh, office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't like, tell what movies you like. Yeah, exactly. He's like, he's like, I need you to tell me right now that you did it. Come on, you did it. <laughs> he, he wasn't walking around the office with a baseball bat, you know, like uh, De Niro. And, uh, that was the kind of shit that he would, like, not a baseball bat, but, like, he would try to intimidate you using, like, like just pure Brooklyn. <laughs> just pure Italian. His, his name was uh, Mr. DeBerry, and he would use, like, pure, like, uh, you know, I'm a guy from Brooklyn energy and walk around. But he looked like a rat, so it didn't really work. Also, so surprise of surprises, he's actually on the show right now. Here he is, <laughs> the rat himself now. <laughs> You know what's uh, he, he would do the kind of, but he would do that kind of like bull, like the bull things too. I guess like where he's, he's like, mm -hmm. you know, don't mess with the bull, young man. You get the horns. I yeah. was about to tell Andy that earlier this week. Christina, mm -hmm. go ahead. Uh, so apparently, a lot of people on set weren't, or act, the actors and some of the crew were not aware that Martin Sheen was is Amelia Estevez's father. They made a joke of like, "Don't be too intense, guys, because you'll have a heart attack, like Martin Sheen did during Apocalypse Now." Oh. Amelia Estevez was like. What'd you say about my father? And John Capolos yeah. uh, felt so bad making that joke. And he accepted the apology, but a lot of people were like, Mark, a... really? <laughs> well, because he wasn't trying to trade off his his father's name. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It wasn't like Charles. His original, his fa his family's original name, because they're they're the Estevez family's from is uh, from Spain, I believe. Right, and yeah. his and Martin's brother Joe, who looks and sounds just like him, goes by Joe Estevez, and yeah. is often called in to be a body double. 
if you ever hear Martin Martin, what do you think is Martin Sheen in a commercial? It's actually probably Joe Estevez, yep. uh, and he's he's also in uh, I Got the Hookup as an FBI agent. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> but you, um, know, you gotta be careful. You don't know who who's you can't be making fun of people's parents. You're not gonna know who they're related to. Maybe. <laughs> I, I do agree that there's no weird stoner jock musicians in the film. There's uh, no Eddie Munson type in the film. Well, yeah, well, that, that's that's a popular representation, but the reality of the fact before, is, but this yeah, is before the, the Satanic Panic happened of like the late '80s, early '90s. So it was it was about the, it was about the same time. But the thing is, the Eddie Munsons of the world in real time were much more like Bender, frankly, like it's just like bad social skills. And, you know, like this, like and the, half of them look like, uh, Br uh, Brian. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause the 22, 2022 version of the eighties looks a lot more glamorous than, than the actual. Way. Oh my God. Yeah. You yeah, see I mean, like, like girls doing like eighties makeovers. And I'm like, girl, you need more blue eyeshadow. You need right. more Aquanet. You need <laughs> more. Garish, I mean, more garish, please. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I rewatched uh, Pretty in Pink uh, before this. Like, I rewatched it this weekend, and that's the one I chose to watch because I was like, I'm not going to watch multiple. Like, I'll watch one one other John Hughes movies because none of them are like on. Not Home Alone. Not they're not on streaming <laughs> services. So, uh, yeah, like they they kind of go all out with the with the gar <laughs> with the garish. Uh, no, but they go out all out with like the garage, like the, the woman whose store that she like kind of works at. Oh, yeah, yeah, and like, like the, yeah, mm. and, like everybody's kind of dressed all. But look at like Cindy Lauper, who by the way is a certified badass and totally amazing, but like, like that, it's crazy that that as much of 80s pop culture has been assimilated into just regular pop culture and uh made normal that like the more extreme aspects of it have basically been forgotten or turned even more cartoonish when they're yeah. there and like not put like in as, like, economics. <laughs> exactly trying to get this right. first super chat but thanks for thanks for the comment <laughs> <laughs> all right well i don't know what to say to that thank you <laughs> uh but there is a, a distinct no he just Joanna just liked my my super chat uh thing where i tweeted out the link and i was like come give us our first super chat <laughs> so i'll try to plug it i'll try to make i'll try to make it will it into existence what do what like what do what do people have to do like do they have to do anything it's, it's like a type of comment but you know it's like oh know. there's like the dollar sign next to it yeah okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah all right oh wow uh, but yeah, I think the but but here's the point, uh, and the, the, I didn't just throw that up because I wanted as a as the purveyor of heavy riffs on the show, I read representation for myself. No, I did. I threw that comment up specifically because I think that probably one of Hughes's tactics with this is not to tie them down too specifically to any one thing, uh, meaning that like keeping them more towards like generalized archetypes and that would have more universal appeal, which usually I feel like doesn't work. And I feel like it does in this film. Right. Uh, and then I think, and then I feel like people, well, I know people will criticize that and then talk about how much they love it afterwards. Cause I saw that a million times putting the letterbox reviews that, and the yeah. fact that everyone was like, they false advertising. They didn't have breakfast. I'm like, Oh my God, it's a term for a different That's bunch all, of people uh... coming together. I know. It's, Walt, it's, it's the Why do you think there's a podcast called The Breakfast Club now? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's all Walt Jr. from fucking Breaking Bad. They didn't have breakfast. This is false. Yeah. 
<laughs> if, if I was reading them right now, I would choose to read them in that voice. Thank you, Boris. <laughs> but uh, no, I got I got to play this at the after party. There's a clip that I found the other day where somebody uh, I don't I don't know if they were doing the voices or if they put it into like an AI thing, but it's Trump uh, talking to Walt Jr. for some weird reason. He's playing a video game and he's like, "I know where you live. I can find you right now." He's like, "It's, it's, it's, it's like it's sixteen thirty one Arroyo Lane, Albuquerque." And he's like, "No, no." <laughs> Wait, I gotta, I gotta pull this up to explain it because now I've mentioned it. Walt, but I feel like uh, you know, Walt Junior Breakfast Club. That would be a, I'd watch that remake. Oh wow! I just found something out about Ali Sheedy's, uh, how she kind of like got the role for Allison. She originally auditioned. She at first auditioned for the part of Samantha Baker in Sixteen Candles, which went to Molly Ringwald, of course. When she auditioned, she had two black eyes from a, a Seth on the accent. The black eyes gave her a dark gothic image, which stayed with John Hughes. When it was time to cast a part of Allison, Hughes remembered and called Sheedy for the role. Huh. All right. Nice. Did, did not know that. Well, she was never one to like, I mean, we're all familiar with, uh, what, what was the movie that she was in? War Games with Matthew Broderick? Oh, War Games. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. That was like her first, I think that was like her film debut, I believe. But, uh, you know, she was never known for playing, like, the preppy, cutesy girls. Like, she was always known for playing, like, the nerds or, like, an outcast or even, like, a serious character from, like, the St. Elmo's Fire. Like, she was not known for playing, like, you know, the feminine archetypes of a, of a girl in the 80s. Mm. Yeah, what, what was, uh, what other stuff had she done at this point? Let's see. Because I know she did a uh, short circuit after this. Short circuit. Wow. Yeah. yeah what, that what a great movie that we can never talk about because of the uh, Brown Fisher case. Stevens. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is a legit great He's movie. still banned from India. High art. Let's see. Fantastic. She did uh, Hill Street Blues. Bat- Ooh, she made a feature film debut in Bad Boy starring Sean Penn. War Games, Breakfast Club, St. Elmo's Fire. Short Which uh, Sean Penn played the uh, Will Smith character, if you're wondering. They don't- <laughs> She did high art. Let's see. She did, she did off Broadway. Kind of well, the bad age. boy that he said that he hired her because of, right? That was the, the the movie that he said that he saw and wanted her to play the role. Yeah. But yeah, she. Uh, I think she does more. Uh, she write. She actually write. She actually was an, an author before she became an actress. Like in 1975, she wrote her, her first book. So this is this is Walt this is Walt Jr. Breakfast Club. All right, here we go. Know what exactly what you look like and where you live. Well, well, I I use a VPN, so that is Showcap Jr. I just pulled your IP. I've got it right now. No, you don't. Huh. Albuquerque, it. New Mexico. Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's where you're from. That's not. How did, hey. Oh, I just pulled your IP. 308 Negra Aurora Lane, Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's you, isn't it? No. That's, I'm on Google Earth right now. I see a pizza on your roof. <laughs> that's, that's my grandma's house. Nice try. No, it, what, so you're playing at your grandmother's house? You're a loser. Don't even joke to me. You're a loser. I, <laughs> playing at grandma's. What, is she going to make you cookies and milk? No, what? That sounds nice. Cookies and milk for grandma. 
<laughs> I don't know in what context somebody decided to make that, but it's amazing. And that has to just be like an in joke that just kept going, right? That has to be. Yeah. Well, there's a bunch. Of, like people have been making a bunch of them. Like I, uh, I saw one of those was uh, Mike from Breaking Bad. Someone did the voice. They're like, they're like, put it away, Walter. And he's like, I don't want to see your dick right now. And it was, it was just that. People have been going crazy with the Breaking Bad memes because of Better Call Saul, and I've been watching yeah, yeah. that again all week. But then I took a break and watched literally the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would say I would say that qualifies as the opposite. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one more uh, clip. Uh, okay. the Ali Sheedy one. And, uh, you know, I'll save the other couple. I have a couple other ones for the, um, for the after party. But okay. I don't cool. want to blow through them all. Um, exactly. We got to... Look at that. Look at that. I mean, look at that glamour yeah, right there. Exactly. How did they ruin awesome. that? <laughs> Allison? <laughs> um, is... Allison is, uh, has a lot of secrets. Um, she has a very kind of um, colorful and an inner life that is just constantly in motion is always going on. Um, I, I think that she's what she is really is something that's very kind of simple and pure, but the way that it comes out is very complicated. You know, do you, like, do you like her character? Yeah, I do. I like her a lot, and I I identify with her in a lot of ways. Um, well. I think that Allison is not one of those characters who's confused about who she is. I think she knows what it is that she's feeling all the time. It, the problem isn't, you know, what am I feeling? What do I really want? What's really going on with me? It's more, um, do I want you to know? You know, like, how, do I trust you or not? What do I think you want from me? Maybe I should just give you what you want from me instead of what I'm really feeling. I, so I know a little bit about that. <laughs> um, why? Because I've been in different situations where I've, I think, tr- I've, my mind can work pretty quickly, like, to kind of size up and evaluate a situation. And then I sometimes decide that I'll just act according to what I know is going to um, kind of jive well with what's going on here. And so- okay. We were... How I can size up the situation or figure yeah. out what to do. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that is that's but something I. I still, you still haven't told me how this character is like you. She's. I mean, I really want to know. Reading your bio and stuff like that, you seem very direct. You decide you want to do something, and you really go for it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, is that it? This um, really go for it, though. That's yes, she does. See, but it's just. It's just not, it's not quite as, it's very easy for me to, to tell you now, yes, I've decided to go over something and just gone for it. But it's kind of different when you think that's something I really want to do now. Let me get the courage up to do it. I mean, when you're going through the process, it's really easy to talk about it later. But um, she's going through the process, I think, right now during the movie, you know, just through finding out what it is, you know, where is she going to go with all of this? I mean, I think she knows what's important to her. Yeah, she does. She knows. And what she wants is just, it's like I, I 
chicken getting hatched, you know, like wh when do you break through the shell, you know? That's what she wants to do. Do you feel like a chicken getting hatched? No, I don't feel like a chicken getting hatched, no. but I mean, that's my analogy, you know? Well, you're right. I mean, as the character, no, she's not, no, it's not my well, image for her. You talking about why you feel infinity, which I try to get from. It, it's almost like seeing people who don't understand what acting is talk to actors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, so are you a chicken? It was acting is what I want someone to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it seems to be a question a lot of times in these interviews that like a lot of them have watched every single person is like, how are you like your character? And it's like, do they, do they have to really be like, yeah, not at all. It's fucking <laughs> acting. What are you? Yeah. Ridiculous. So I don't understand. Where's the chicken coming? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting flashbacks. What's up with the watermelon? It's called acting. Does your, does I was your, acting. Does this How can I only go on with half a finger? Does this character like bring eggs to school? Like what, what, are, you, what are you trying to say? Um, but I mean, I guess I guess it makes sense because it's like these tropes, and it's like you're asking these young kids, like, "Hey, what kind of trope do you fall into?" But I, I feel like there's an alienating aspect to being an actor or an actress, where uh, if you're like that young, I mean where they kind of section you off from everybody else. Like maybe you don't fall into those categories if you do it from a really young age. Yeah. Also, like, I think a lot of it is that, you know, the, the interviewers are, are definitely boomers and the, you know, these, these kids in the movie were Gen X and, and Gen X, you know, a lot of times we're being forced into boomer boxes uh, a lot of times, yeah. uh, especially, I mean, like, you know, just, just in general, look at pop culture, uh, this, you know, like, you know, everybody complains about nostalgia nowadays. Like, Fuck, you don't remember the 80s, y'all. Um, it was nothing but nostalgia. Um, it was like 50s nostalgia. Yeah, 50s and 60s. Like, let's be honest, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but like, uh, uh, let's face it. Like like um, would uh, Paul Simon, which which I will say, Graceland is a uh, is a great album. And I'm not I'm not you know denigrating Graceland, but like, would that have been such a big pop hit if it wasn't for the uh, the outsized uh, boomer um, uh, you know uh, ability to buy it and make it into that pop hit? Um, you know, well, it, it, like we didn't start the fire or, or really the entire career of Billy Joel. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the worst. Yeah. It's, um, it's uh, boomerism, though. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, love that song. And I'm like, Mom, are you aware what that song's about? Sucks. Wait, and, and how uh, about. Uh, was, it, was it you that posted something this week that was like, after the after the last few years we've had, it's time to reevaluate whether or not, uh, you know, the boomers actually did start the fire. Yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah. remember George Harrison's song, I Got My Mindset on You, which is a horrible yeah. song. Um, what? Why? It was a, it's a bad song. It shouldn't, you know. It's like his only, like, hit, though. Like, that's the only George yeah, Harrison song. Yeah, in the 70s. It was all because of nostalgia. The Kokomo by the Beach Boys? Come on. This, this was, this, Wait, well, hold on a second, my guy. You're you're putting Kokomo in the same category as I got my mind set on you. Those yes, are, no. no. I mean, Kokomo yeah. practically a hate crime. Well, yes, yeah. but, but but I got my mind set on you is is such an obnoxious <laughs> song. Um, <laughs> don't I can kick you off your own show if you keep doing that. <laughs> I, I I think those are like Kokomo coup. But the thing is, though, is like like both of those songs were, were like outside. A Kukumo? Because <laughs> that movie was literally made for a Tom Cruise film called Kokomo. Kokomo honestly yeah. sounds like somewhere that uh, Reagan. Kokomo. No, but <laughs> Kokomo honestly sounds like somewhere Reagan would have sent troops to like get people back out of Vietnam syndrome. It's like, well, we're invading Kokomo. <laughs> 
Listen, the, the beach but, but what he doesn't realize is that's what Mike Love calls cocaine. <laughs> fuck Mike Love. Can I get a fuck Mike Love in the chat, people? The super chat. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, Mike Love did write that atrocious, uh, like, like even worse than Kokomo rap song that the Beach Boys did in the 90s. So. <sighs> This is why Brian Wilson is is the genius of the band. And, and, and Brian Wilson's rap song is not much better. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like when it comes to like members of the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson is literally like a genius, like Mozart. And there we go. Uh, I'm more John Stamos guy myself. Thank you. Yes, I, that is not true. Best era of the Beach Boys. <laughs> Before someone clips that out of context. When it comes no to drummers, way. besides Dennis, I'm a huge John Calso fan, even though he tours with Mike Love. Trying to get him to change his mind, but he won't listen. There you go. My uh, my mom, my mom a couple years ago went. And you saw call it Kukumo, where I'm from. <laughs> um, my mom a couple years ago uh, went and saw Cindy Lauper uh, play in concert because um, her friend was like dating one of the uh, girls in Cindy Lauper's band, one of the women, and so they went and they got to like meet her and go backstage for like a night. It's fucking Ooh. dumb. Yeah, she still talks about it once in a while. She's like, you know, the time I got to hang out backstage with Cindy Lauper, it'll be, you know, yeah, you're fucking lucky. Cool, awesome. Girls just want to have fundamental rights, y'all. <laughs> was that, it was a, I can't remember what the show was, some VH1 thing or whatever, but like, yeah, it was a Cindy, Cindy Lauper concert, but it was, but it was like, I, I, I'm the one, I'm the one that should know. <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> yeah. It's happened! Woo! Thank you, Stevie! Yeah. You, you please shut the fuck up about it. Thank you. Sorry, <laughs> shut the flip up. I watched the AMC. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was like uh, like one of these VH1 things, right? And it, it was like a recent-ish... Uh, Conservance, her version, and it was freaking awesome. Like it was great. I mean, she did like like reimaginings of like a lot of the songs and, and stuff like that. But like, it ripped, and like she can uh, absolutely, you know, wild talented lady. Like she's an incredible singer still and performer, and uh, yeah, respect because I think people remember the garish outfits, and honestly, like those those are pretty awesome, right? But like, she's incredible talent as well. Well, speaking of like the eighties, I've noticed something because the how I familiarized myself with the seventies and eighties was watching the I love series on VH1. Oh, okay. That's how I found out everything about like the, the hits of like the top pop, like songs, pop culture, movies, uh, music, murder, fashion. And I feel like Gen Z doesn't really have that knowledge. Cause there's always, there's always this thing about preserving like the art of the past, like fifties and sixties music. You know, you see all that stuff on like PBS and whatnot. Um, but we're not really seeing like, we're not really seeing much of like Gen Z familiarizing themselves with like the actual culture. And it's almost like, I wouldn't say LARPing the aesthetic, but it kind of seems like with what you what the points that have been made before is the fact that um, you know all these movies that take place in the '80s don't really hone in on what it was really, really, really right. like. No, I think I think that's very important. I think it's also the fact that all this music exists at the same time, along with new music that's coming out, uh, and that's part of a, that's a that's a cultural problem because yeah. what's going to happen is it gives deference to things that are already known uh, because of. It 
cultural bias, but it lacks the context of it. So therefore the good side of that is, yeah, there's a kid that's going to discover like a minor threat or a black flag record or a Cindy Lauper or Blondie or whatever, as if it was happening that day. Yeah. Uh, and that is the cool part of it. The downside of it is, is much harder as an artist to actually getting attention unless you got in before the bell for that. And that's something I've yeah. talked about a lot, especially in other shows, because believe me, if you're an artist in, in this day and age, you know it. And you know the fact that like your only real cultural cachet that you can get is, is basically attaching to something else that people already have familiarity to and already have a buy-in for. And then again, if you're a legacy artist, you know, which Kate Bush, not like Kate Bush is hurting for fans or anything, but like Kate Bush saw a major resurgence because Kate Bush is awesome. Happened yeah. to be in an episode of, of Stranger Things, right? Yeah. But it has to be Metallica, something like that. Master of but, but Metallica was always, they always were superstars. Yeah. And so was Kate Bush. People are acting like Kate Bush was some like obscure artist. Like Kate Bush is like one of the OGs artist artists. Like yeah. and she has had an incredible career, but it's not like, the band death from uh, like the seventies or something getting picked up out of obscurity and like elevated to this greater platform. What it is, is people are in some way, shape or form taking bits and pieces magpie like of culture and, and either elevating or more likely re elevating them up. So they live in a constant state of things being reheated for the next generation. Yeah. And also too, like and that's the, the nostalgia like, complex. Yeah. And, well, with the and, and there's, and there's a very, I mean, David Bowie called it out with MTV when uh you know they weren't really playing a lot of black artists like it yeah barely ever yeah. happens there's that really which by the way this movie opens with the david boy quote so it's great that we invoke him yes it's, um, a, great, it's a great way to open the movie too. but like yes. it's, yeah no All it movie should open with david bowie but um but like you know <laughs> that famous clip that you have like that you kind of flavor flavor watch you kind of like have to watch if you take any kind of media criticism class right like that's that's a clip that gets invoked a lot also obviously another one that we talked about recently uh is the d snyder I've, I've had to watch that in multiple media criticisms class where, yeah. where he goes. But uh, yeah, so so they're cultivating a very certain um, genre of music. They're cultivating very like specific artists, and they've uh, they've 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 very much. I mean, although they don't do music video like new music videos anymore on MTV, like you still can go on YouTube and like you know look at what they were playing at the time, and like right. they, every once in a while they have like you know like music uh, replay or whatever, like total replay, like. It, they they were they were cultivating things for the specificity, I guess, of that nostalgia complex, and it had to fit within a certain confines, right? Like, for yeah. instance, like the fact that Devo got through is a minor miracle because, like, they were honestly way too heady and like intellectual for uh, the pop audience at the time. But there just was less videos happening, so it's like they they needed they needed the content, and then then people mistook it for being something more simpler and. Uh, less interesting than what it actually was. But again, when people talk about the 80s, when they're talking about 80s pop, they're not talking about like Husker Du and, and like the Minutemen and like stuff like that, because that's all 80s music as well. About Madonna, like, Michael Jackson. Yeah, you're talking about 80s mega pop. And like yeah. the, the, we've allowed that to be like, no, that's 80s. I'm like, no, that is 80s pop. Like, and in the same way that like when people talk about, uh, you know, in the 90s, and then they associate the 90s with like the biggest pop bands of the, of the time. <laughs> <laughs> what up, Flav? Uh, you know, like it's, it's um, you know, sometimes there are ones where, yeah, it makes sense. Like if someone's invoking Nirvana, okay, cool. You know, that's a the rare example of like a, a viable artist that uh, is, is indeed um, embodying the term, but then also has a cultural cachet that goes far beyond like the underground that spawned it. But then to 
and I'm not going to name names because I don't want to get to talking about. It, but but sometimes there, I've seen it happen that these these the major labels found a bunch of bands. They're like, oh, we don't need to like find bands now. We can kind of manufacture our own alt bands. And I've seen some of those be elevated and spoken the same <laughs> sentence as the as the actual artists that defined a genre and defined a time period. And it's upsetting. It's actually upsetting because what it means is that all that matters is success. All that matters is popularity and and artistic viability will eventually be forgotten and everything will be retconned to be like one gigantic morass of, hey, do you remember when dot, dot, dot. Well, I mean, and not to, I mean, invoking uh, Flavor Flav here, but, um, you know, that, that Elvis movie re recently came out. I didn't bother to watch the entire <laughs> it's thing. It's the Moulin Rouge guy, yeah. right? That, I, I can't get yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Moulin Rouge. I mean, that's kind of one of the first examples of, uh, you know, of, of a style that's of music me. kind of being... Uh, <laughs> Like a style of music being retconned by somebody. Who oh, hundred percent. Like, and, and like it's basically I want to like, manufacture gospel music, which is an organic thing that happens in black churches. Yeah. But I want to find a, a, a Baptist of uh, <laughs> of so. Yeah, uh, not a truth. Find, if it's not a truther that I'm aware of. I I want to <laughs> find a uh, um like like a Baptist uh you know style gospel singer, but I don't want it to be a black guy. I want it to be a white guy. So there's Okay. Yes. But like so but it's 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 retconning a style of music in a way that kind of whitewashes it, no pun intended, for a, a specific audience. And that's Pat Boone. That's on Elvis, by the way. Yes. Just yeah. to be explicitly clear, but like Elvis Elvis is a complicated figure that has never been treated in any sort of, of uh, biopic fiction or nonfiction that has actually shown the total story because he no. did have quite a bit of talent was very, he himself as the artist was very uh, referential to his influences and very good at his influences. But Colonel Tom Parker is one of the worst people in all of entertainment history. Yes. yes. And, and therefore the idea that this, this yeah. new movie, hold on, hold on. the idea of this new movie, my understanding, and I haven't seen it cause I don't really like that guy's films is that it kind of centers around Colonel Tom Parker, which I'm like, that's the worst thing you could do. And yeah. that's the, the worst possible thing you could do. Yeah, with the most likable guy in Hollywood, as uh, Colonel Tom uh, Parker too. Like, well, right, he's, he's, like Tom Hanks um, doesn't want to be the most likable guy in Hollywood. I'm, I'm, I, I don't think that Elvis. I mean, Elvis obviously was was more respectful to the people that he was inspired by. What I'm saying is, as a as a product, right? Like, as, as a cultural product, yeah. yeah. yeah well, but but the, but the actual. So, Christina, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you in a second. But what I wanted to make a point of is, as much as that is true, Pat Boone is more like what's happening now. Which yeah. is just like stripped of any quality, stripped of any kind of uh, deeper meaning whatsoever. Like literally, just the artifice alone, sitting like you know, like a uh, like a, a model home with nothing behind it, and that's what we're now elevating because we don't even have time to like find the uh, cultural cachet that exists within. Anyway, Christina, right, you can you can wait with just the last the last comment, but you can see kind of well. I think she's talented, but like Grimes as a uh as and, and they did this a lot like a lot in montreal a couple years ago like where grimes is from like there was this style of 80s clearly 80s referential uh you know Re referential and quote-unquote influenced by 80s pop but yeah, yeah. In, in a way that's meant to be modern but is just enough different to avoid I, think, I think grimes is probably the best of that movement but like i i it's kind of you know a similar but christina yeah. sorry so we're all familiar with Jerry Lee Lewis, right? The killer. 
who was supposed to be the next Elvis, but he married his 13 year old cousin and Elvis's team was like, you're seeing a 14 year old. So we got to, you know, keep so we've, we've got the moral high grounds. Smart, smart decision by Elvis's team. But like in the movie, Great Balls of Fire, which is not really a good film. Dennis it's not Quaid, a Osman Titus in the balls, actually. Yeah, but like. <laughs> I, I had to listen to him. Yeah. In the beginning, they actually showed how Jerry Lee as a kid would go to like these black clubs where he was in, he was influenced by black music. He wanted to make music just like that and play the piano because everyone yeah. was playing guitars back then. So at least that film actually did show that he was influenced, that he always tried to hang out with, with uh, you know, people of color, were influenced by people of color artists and whatnot. So at least that film did show, you know, um, like that aspect of why he wanted to, you know, do like rock and roll, but he didn't want to try to be like the next Elvis or whatever, or, or like Pat Boone or, or Carl Perkins or whatever. He just wanted to be himself and just, you know, because even the South did not approve of him because of, you know, he was a bit too extreme. He moved. Too well, yeah, because he was, ex he, he was extreme too. And like the idea of being like, Oh, Oh, Elvis is scary. Like I'm going to be actually dangerous. And like the fact that like, in a lot of cases he wasn't acting also, but then he had this extreme other side of it. He was very deeply religious. And anyway, uh, that's a whole separate kettle of fish. And it's very interesting. There's, there's actually a podcast series called a history of rock and roll and 500 songs that I highly recommend anyone uh, interested in these topics, check out because he really gets into depth. Also Baz Luhrmann. I don't think Baz Luhrmann is a good director. I don't like any Baz Luhrmann films, including Moulin Rouge. Sorry, Christine. What? I like Moulin Rouge and, Romeo and Juliet. That's about it. I, I, I'm not surprised by either of those statements. I like the yeah. aesthetics of Boz Lerman. I just don't like the... Uh... Yeah, I just wish I would, would write a plot. Now, <laughs> back to the movie. But I'm kind of glad we had this discussion about film and 80s and nostalgia. We're seeing because that Breakfast Club is... Yeah, it's being farmed for content, we're, right? We're seeing, <laughs> we're seeing the fucking like, the early 2000s nostalgia. I'm like, fuck no. I don't want low life scenes. I don't want thin eyebrows made to come back. I don't want silver eyes to make a comeback. Fuck that. But what is it, Jingos? Pokemon is so hot right now. Yes. We uh we, we talked about Jerry Lewis. Right. <laughs> well, we yep. two minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh do you feel like there's, there's it seems like there's so the super chat, by the way. <laughs> there's yeah, so many, really rewarding that super chat, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. There are like so many video essays that even break down like the subgenres of the stereotypes of the characters from the Breakfast Club. Like there's different manic girls, there's different there's different like burnouts and different types of jocks, different types of popular girls and whatnot. I'm like, I'm so burnt out by all the different subgenres of stereotypes of teens and films. Aren't you guys? And, uh, and as the descendant said, I want to be stereotyped. I want to be classified. And we were planning on doing <laughs> something like uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High originally. And that's, that's a movie that takes some of these, uh, you know, these tropes and like makes them a lot more specific, I think. Um, and I think it actually is aged better as a film. I think The Breakfast Club works really well as a time capsule of this specific time of the 80s and as a, a, a coming-of-age movie for people around that time. But I think as a film, Fast Times actually aged pretty well. Uh, Daisy Confused, I was going to say, is another one that's um, a lot. Which is a, a 90s lot, movie like, about the 70s, right? Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, was happening a lot at that time. Yeah, yeah. Like 80s movies about the 60s. And, you know, it's just like every Paul Thomas Anderson movie is about the 70s. Apparently, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, oh, God, what was it? What was it? Peggy Sue got married. That was like 80s. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of nostalgia of the 60s. I mean, you had so many artists of the 80s covering songs from the 60s, but like Billy Idol. Yes, doing it all back home. Uh, by the way, Peggy Sue Got Married is a time travel movie, if anybody forgot. 
Yes. Yeah. It's I, kind of I a lame time it. travel movie. It's a it, good it film. Is. I, 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 it's a decent it. film, but it's a time travel movie. Not great. I mean, yeah, no, no. Go to go to the Christopher Reeves uh, time travel movie if, if you want something oh, that's uh, ti- timeless. Timeless? Is that the I one think it's that? timeless. Yeah. yeah. I it's mean, a weird and, one. And talking about time travel movies, Back to the Future, another 80s coming of Yeah. Nostalgia. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Which involving, involving <laughs> yeah well, and it, but so so that's why it's interesting and th- i guess this is probably better suited for the after party but something like stranger things it's essentially a pastiche of lots of really cool like adventure and sci-fi movies from the 80s but still manages to put its own unique enough spin on it that it, like it works like it's just like one step original enough but it has all of the cultural touchstones i don't find that as offensive as i find and again, I'm not going to name names, but artists that are literally like, oh, you're just doing a Depeche Mode? Okay. That's just that's yeah. just what you're doing, huh? You're just going to blatantly rip that off? And, and again, I've seen bands where it's like, you sound literally exactly like another band. And I don't know how you pulled that off without at least accidentally injecting some of yourself into it. But you did. And I hate that you're successful for it. Yeah, and there's this one, one guy on Hackery. TikTok named Jared Jermaine, I believe, and he's like the music expert. Like, he's like, do you guys know that this song sounds exactly like this song? Like, he had, I posted this the other day, but like, Backstreet Boys I'm on that way. Sounds like, um, oh God, the song, Spend you know. Du Ballet Truth. Yes, that song. I was like, oh my God, my whole life is forever changed by this knowledge. You're making me that Have you listened to More Than a Feeling by Boston? Yeah. <laughs> you know the guitar hook part I'm talking about. Yes. Oh yeah, we got you got uh, the Pixies too. You know, that's uh... <laughs> God, it's like you're matching almost. I know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that, that, uh, you don't notice the cat hair. Hench cat. Exactly. Hey, Conan, hey, does Barry Manilow know that you're rated? Barry Man, look, does Barry Manilow know that he rated Conan Neutron's wardrobe? That's what I'm. I, I, that's actually oh, a better question. Shit. I think one of his handlers has been like in your closet. It you know it, it happened with Rick Nielsen from Cheap Rick, but uh, that that's an after party story. So oh, <laughs> but I'm not kidding about that. Speaking of what, what you know, uh, letterbox one liners. Yeah, let's uh, we're we're in after party territory in the in the main. Well, there's not a lot to say about Breakfast Club. I mean, I guess specific. You know what I mean? Like it's an interesting like as as Conan said, like touchstone conversation, but it's it's less of a yeah. Uh, you know. And I think the general, I think the the tropes and the characters being the um, very archetypical and in, in, in general as an aesthetic choice actually has worked well for the movie, especially in this era of meta commentary where people get to comment on the fact that they are generic characters by also saying, but also this kind of slaps, you know. Anyway, yeah. uh, hear all about that uh, on Letterboxd. Of course, Letterboxd is a social media site for film lovers uh, to talk at with and to each other about the films that they love the films that they didn't love the films that they want to make the exact same reference about there being no breakfast in this movie and over and over and over why is it over again the the films that they uh, have people that they are uh, thirsty for that they're fascinated by Uh, all this of course uh, bottom-up democracy no siskels no eberts everyone gets to have their say Best expressed in the one-liner format. Work under type five in front of the in front of the non-cement wall uh, that, that Andy is, but like a brick wall, like the uh, '80s comedy sets that you can sometimes see the the sets of. That it's this ubiquitous brick wall. These are the letterbox one-liners for the Breakfast Club. For so let's go. 
Bender, stop being a fucking creep challenge. Amen. Yeah, that mm-hmm. actually did not age well if, uh, under the under that table. Not even a little bit. Like, <laughs> and that's like that's like funny, but also it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's real. <laughs> At the end, he goes fist, and you, the audience, go, yeah, cool guy. <laughs> and it's true. That was improvised, by the way. Yep. You guys, isn't that crazy? It's like one of the most iconic. Well, and the, and the 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 freeze frame on it, right? That's such an iconic, and over referenced tool in filmmaking, uh, to embody like eighties filmmaking, and it yeah. was, wasn't even in the script. And, and I mean, there's Forrest doing it on the screen right now. <laughs> Turn around. Everyone's making out, and Brian kissing his perfect existentialist essay. Relatable. Yeah. Justice well, you know, the uh, the vice principal, like, you know, like us, all he sees are the tropes and he doesn't see them as people as they realize that they are. They are not just, you know, a, a uh, uh, you know, a punk and a jock and uh, a, a weirdo who decided to come to detention because she had nothing better to do. And, uh, you know, a prom queen and a nerd. They are their own three dimensional kind of characters. <laughs> exactly. I've seen her dehydrate, sir. It's pretty gross. Yeah. That line reminds me of something that would be in SpongeBob. I love that line. <laughs> it's good. Good. Everyone's working off each other. A rebel, nerd, a jock, a popular girl, and a misfit walk into a bar. Oh, wait. It's a school. Right. Who, uh, who doesn't appreciate one of those jokes? Sounds as good as uh, Bender's blonde joke, right? Anyway. <laughs> Okay, but imagine kissing someone on the card that your parents are in. Well, that's the whole thing, right? That's right that's, that's what he said. Uh, wouldn't that make an astounding whatever? Yeah, he's like, wouldn't that make an astounding way to you know get back to your parents? And truth, truth, I feel you. Then I have to imagine we saw it. The makeover was awful. Put her back. Yes, <laughs> yes. I agree. <laughs> yeah, she looks worse. She definitely looks worse. She looks objectively worse. She looks she looks cute as a like a weirdo, and then she looks just out of place as a. I found it an affront to my people. Uh, screws fall out. <laughs> screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. <laughs> 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 to be fair, fantastic line. And he, he does he does have some some good zingers that do not in fact impugn a uh, uh, <laughs> sexual orientation or marginalized person as well. So. Brian deserved better. Yeah. Brian should have, Brian should have kissed the weed at the end of the. <laughs> <laughs> it already went down on him, so. Yeah. <laughs> Without lamps, there'd be no light. Yeah, I think that's my favorite. I think that's my favorite line from this movie because he gets so upset about it. He's like, "Without lamps, there'd be no light." It's like, yeah. I mean, look, everyone has their has their. Place, I guess you know, like their thing that they're good at. Like it makes because well, he's he's talking talking trash about uh, What's basically the, the the yeah working with your hands is, is it and like that it's like lesser and demeaning and not important. And I would guess that he works with his hands quite a bit. Hey everybody! <laughs> when Allison says "I care," and her eyes look over and just slightly water. Amen. Break. That acting plays. It plays. We're all pretty bizarre. Some of us are just better at hiding it. That's all. 
I, I, I love when they're like, how are you bizarre? How, bro, how, <laughs> how are you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then it, yeah, and then and then you, there's the the whole scene that ensues after. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, those are the letterbox one layers for the Breakfast Club. Please, please, please follow Moving Extravaganza on Letterbox. That's your host Forrest over there. You may follow me, Conan Kukomo Neutron. Uh, I'm all over that biz, and I engage, and that's a it's a place I like very much. Uh, Jay Andrew, kind of friends, Andy has world. He's watching um, the, all, all the bear movies, bears in interesting situations that you cannot possibly believe they would be in, and then rewatching them because he forgot he did that. Uh, I'm Christina, aka Basket Case over there, not the horror movie Basket Case, uh, which is an entirely different film, aka Malignant of the 80s. Uh, is watching all of the Johnny Depp related movies and things along those lines. Please follow her as well. Letterbox is a place for film. Jay Andrew World, please take it away. I have lost the file with all my notes for the plugs, so I have to wing it now. Uh oh. I don't know what happened. I'm looking at it. And I'm like, it goes so it? well when it's scripted too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this, yeah, this, this isn't what I'm looking for. Five songs. Is that, that a listicle? Was it replaced by a listicle? Yes. It's like a Vox explainer instead of my notes. What happened? <laughs> oh my God. Um, so anyways, uh, you're watching us right here on YouTube. Make sure you do the YouTube things. Uh, like, subscribe, comment, hit the bell. And one of the big things, uh, because the algorithm is our Lord and master here, um, watch the video to the end. So other movie fans can find us. Um, if you, uh, you uh, want to help out the channel? We have a Patreon. Um, go to patreon.com slash movie night extra, I believe it is. Or I can't remember. Is it extravaganza? Extra? Movie night extra. Yeah, there you go. It's, yeah. Anyways, uh, you just, just put it to the Googles. Patreon. Movie night extravaganza. You'll find us. It's not a problem. Oh, oh, it's not rocket uh, science over here. But yeah, please, please uh, help us out over there. Um, we get 50 subscribers. We're going to do something weird. Uh, maybe I'll be drinking a peanut butter beer. Maybe we'll be watching Morbius. <laughs> I don't know. We haven't figured this out. We My interest level on both those things are low, but yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, it is supposed to be a punishment. I guess we do punishment related stuff rather than anyway. Whatever. But people get to watch our pain, our suffering. Mm -hmm. But yes. Uh, so give us money to watch like us. Watching Mike loves Beach Boys. Yes. But we'll be watching. Um, uh, all of the rap songs by Beach Boy related people. Uh, no, no, God, no. Anyways, uh, unusual punishment. Uh, we also are available in podcast form. If you would like to, uh, uh, if you happen to be one of those kind of people who uh, like to listen to podcasts while you're washing dishes, go to your favorite podcast uh, service, and chances are we're there. Uh, while you're finding us, make sure you like us, give us a really good review, five stars, nothing less, and. Um, uh, who knows? Uh, maybe one day we'll dig up that review and read it online, you know, read it on air and, and, uh, it'll be hilarious or maybe it won't be. I don't know. We'll find <laughs> I guess, I guess we'll find out together like a family. Yes. yes. Um, now we, have, uh, not just us having a Patreon, but I know Christina has a Patreon and a great Twitch channel, which y'all should be checking out. Uh, yes. you got any big plans this week? Uh, well, I'm Dogson, but tomorrow night I'm gonna look up femcel culture and toxic femininity. So figure out how yeah. to fuck on one. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, you know uh, that that the word that, that actually, actually started from a group of feminists. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was like I think I co-opted, but whatever. That, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's not shocking to me. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways. Yeah, like all good things started by a woman and uh got destroyed yeah. by men. So yeah. Um, and uh Conan also has a uh, Patreon for his great show Platonic uh, pr- Platonic, Platonic <laughs> Reversal. But <laughs> incels. Well look, I'm pivoting to incel based material. You, you have Conan you're trying the secret friend zone, and then you have Platonic Platonic <laughs> Reversal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> that, that's your high water mark for this. There we go. Doesn't get any better than that. Just might might as well uh, hang up the the promo hat. All right, people. Bartonic yeah. reversal is the name of the show. That's why that's funny, people. <laughs> which, which is a great show. And uh, who you got coming up uh, this week? Uh, Secret Friends practice this week, so no Protonic uh, live. Uh, so, but the chat pile episode has been uh, doing great numbers. So people that are into into that, yeah. yeah. And I would say if you haven't uh, done it yet, uh, go check out your interview with. Um, oh fuck me! I just forgot who I was going to say. <laughs> that box <laughs> later just took it took it right off the page. Huh? Yeah, uh, but but anyways, yeah. I, I always had like a I had a short list in there of like uh episodes that that uh that that in case this happened i could just look down and be like oh how about um the time you uh interviewed uh and i can't think of anybody you've interviewed (laughs) but it's platonic reversal (laughs) by the way uh uh, pat ryan's winning by 69 percent right now right was it nadler v maloney it's one Oh yeah, I think yeah, Nadler. Okay. Oh, Christy Gonzalez won. Yeah. Oh, sick. That's, That's cool. Hard. But but we do also need to to plug Conan's albums because he has a uh, on vinyl um, dangerous nomenclature. Yep. Yep. And uh, also uh, nothing but solos. Uh, which nope. <laughs> nope. You're just making you're making yeah, it so much harder Chief. than it is. It's it's just the solos. Just the solos from yep. Action Chief. Um, all available on Bandcamp. So uh, please, please check that out. And, uh, you know, if you want some good tunes, check out just the solos because it's weird. They have more than just solos on there. It's like you're all playing together for a song. <laughs> d- d- don't vamp on that. Okay. Right. <laughs> I appreciate the effort, but it's okay. Also on tour. Uh, we're playing Chicago on uh, Friday, Louisville the next weekend. And then we have the tour of McCluskey uh, through most of September. So... Yeah, I think I was, I, was, I was pushing song kick because uh, it's just impossible to get information about bands that playing now. Like, is this Facebook actively makes it difficult? Twitter, it's like a freaking pissing into like to the ocean, you know. So, yeah, th- those are big shows in uh, Oakland and Portland, Seattle. We're also playing Las Vegas, uh, Los Angeles, uh, Humboldt County um casper wyoming denver missoula montana a bunch bunch of places and then we got some dates in october as well on the east coast limited dates in the east coast so yeah like uh down in connecticut and uh in upstate new york yep Peekskill, uh pittsburgh philadelphia and detroit so and i think that's probably going to be it for the year but we'll see 
All right. I had to throw you a bone on that one because I wasn't going to try to make you remember all the tour dates. But God, no, I can, I, I can barely remember the names of your albums. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever and every time you come up with something it's way harder than what it actually is i'm like it's, it's easier than you think it is it really is but truly yes it's protonic reversal Damn, <laughs> usa going to the whole crowley family Whew. but anyways yeah those are the plugs um back to you forest make a backup of those notes next time i guy. <laughs> <laughs> i could have knocked that out of the park Looking like some really uh, some really good results coming out of New York so far. Uh, Christy Gonzalez looks like she actually crushed Elizabeth Crowley. DSA like, going through the whole Crowley family. Let's fucking go. It's it's fifty five percent right now to thirty three percent. That's like not a small victory. That's well, apparently like, Crowley was doing like this really racist ads too, but I couldn't find him uh, last night before uh, Ben's show. Yeah. That's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have a Conan Neutron, the secret friend zone, and Conan Neutron's platonic reverse. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have a, a what are you guys trying to say about me? Uh, opinion here. I think uh, I think the Miki running actually, if if this is what keeps up, actually kind of helps this race because uh, Crowley stepped back for the entire thing, didn't do anything because they were. Too busy. Oh, let's have one more Crowley run and see what happens. <laughs> Come on, Alistair. Christina's calling out like a professional wrestler. <laughs> See you in the cage, Crowley. Curry <laughs> like, Sanders with a chair. It's going to be like Jared Crowley or something, like some guy no one's ever heard of, and he's like, I'm the youngest Crowley. I'm, <laughs> I'm running for, for Assemblyman. <laughs> I'm Alistair um, Crowley. Assemblyman, sir. Assemblyman? Yeah. Assembly boy. I mean, assembly, assembly person. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, starting with Christina, our illustrious, uh, you know, fourth, fourth, uh, fourth Mike. Let's hear some final thoughts. Yeah. So I was first introduced to this film way back in like the early 2000s with I Love the 80s. And it made me curious to watch it. And I fell in love with this film. Uh, there's aspects about it that didn't age well. But I feel like we all identify with a character. I've always identified with Allison. I feel like this is a excellent like peak like per, like standard 80s coming of age film john hughes always knocks it like always knocked it out of the park with these like teen coming of age films um it's a very simple film not a huge cast um very minimal music but when it when it goes it goes um there's been there was ad-libbing and whatnot there was like you know like improvising dialogue which was pretty fantastic too for uh, the actors uh, this is still considered one of my top five favorite films of all time. Whenever I'm bored, I either watch Black Swan, Goodfellas, The Breakfast Club, Birds of Prey, and Austin pa the first Austin Powers film. <laughs> <laughs> Another film that didn't age well. Did not have that on my bingo card for you. Yeah. Didn't age well, baby. <laughs> Baby's first cosplay was Austin Powers, y'all. <laughs> yeah, cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's something I want to say, but it's fine. I'll say it for the after party. <laughs> so tune in. Go go uh, be, be a patron so you can hear me say something risque. Oh, damn. All right. We're, we're like, like that ever sauced me before, but I decided to say it. <laughs> Those are my uh, final thoughts on The Breakfast Club. Just someone right. remind me. <laughs> Conan, let's hear your final thoughts, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> God, no. Dude, that was like... 
Oh my god, that impression was like a plague when that when those films came out. Like it, it was, was just... it was that one, and it was Borat when Borat came out. Those the but yeah, the, yeah, and definitely the same people did the, the same impression for sure. But yeah, that stuff was like, I mean, talk about that was the first pandemic I experienced was people like <laughs> doing that, that and the and the what's up commercial too. Anyway, but. <laughs> Uh, the Breakfast Club. Uh, so first of all, dropped an entire star because of the makeover, which was not objectively the worst makeover in history. Um, and spawned that trope. And, you know, that's pretty unforgivable as well and lame and awful. Uh, although, ultimately, this is a very good movie. And this is a very good movie, despite the fact that there is, like, you know, borderline uh, sexual assault. Uh, certainly, very like not good language at all. But that's also how kids talked, and and that's something that a lot of people forget about that aren't like Harmony Corinne or something. That uh, kids actually are pretty brutal. Like they and everybody like having these perfectly scripted lines that they always know the, the clever thing to say or whatever no and you know they, and and again it's all the more funny if you watch it <laughs> like i did recently with the with the curse words taken out because there's a lot of you, them <laughs> i know exactly right i it, but it's it's this movie is a uh this this is a movie that is absolutely uh it's place in history is correct and i say that as someone who's probably a bigger fan of uh, the movies were more recent than this, like ghost world and uh, book smart ladybird, so on, so on that have more nuance, but there is a time and there's a place for, again, stereotypes and archetypes, but are done such a way that people can acknowledge it, but also connect in some way to this world that's been created and, and have like a simple story. Cause that's what this is, is a simple story. And that's okay. It's okay for everything not to be thousands of pages of backstory and we never do see Bender's dad, uh, you know, any of that stuff. Like, we don't need to see any of that stuff. And I feel like in filmmaking now, uh, well, first of all, you couldn't make The Breakfast Club now, but if you did, it'd be like two and a half hours long and that would be horrible and something nobody wants. Uh, but John Hughes um, regarded correctly, a little bit of an asterisk, but Breakfast Club is, is amongst his better films i think and uh i'm glad we included it because i think it would be disingenuous not to yeah uh it was between this and fast times at ridgemont high but i think this is a more iconic uh addition more, the, the more cultural cachet is, is is with this one as much as i think fast times is a better movie but yeah they're also different movies so all right Andy, you can't talk you about know. how like they're you're you're uh you know things are getting around tropes if you don't show the tropes yeah yeah <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I got to say, um, uh, I, I remember uh, watching this in high school thinking like, ah, well, I, when I'm an upperclassman, it's gonna, that's going to be me. But it never quite was. And, and I think a lot of that is uh, this weird divide that, that uh, you hear about on occasion, the, uh, the, the Oregon Trail generation, uh, which is me and Conan. Um, yep. and, and if you pick up any like 92, 93 yearbook, and you look at it, you'll see the the seniors. You'll see the the seniors with their feathered hair, and then the freshmen all you know got the long hair parted in the middle and and wearing the flannel and uh you know and it just um it, it is it is that I can find my yearbook picture if you want me to throw it up. <laughs> yeah, it, it is it is literally like that distinctive. Uh, you know, 
Um, and it just, it just is like that. But like, I think, um, you know, I can relate to it because it, even though it wasn't necessarily my high school experience, I saw a lot of that uh, in high school, but I don't know going forward, you know, because of, um, you know, and also like the millennials were different from the, uh, you know, fr from the uh, Oregon Trail generation. Um, I remember one of my friends going, these freshmen are so stupid this year. They think Metallica's classic rock. <laughs> um, just like that. <laughs> By the way, Jared Nadler beat uh, Maloney. Nice. Okay. So he's 100,000 years old and should probably retire. But... And, and, and crapped himself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying to keep it profesh, but hey, it's, it's out there. No, I, I, I like Nadler overall, but yeah, he did totally shit himself. Um, anyway... <laughs> uh yeah uh the, but yeah no this this movie is is certainly a, a great like little uh it, it's a cultural touch point too it's not just that it's yeah. um uh it, it it captures the the stereotypes but but it kind of um you know there the, it, it was a, a painted with broad strokes but it but it captured a moment that uh, we don't really see much anymore. Um, as much as we like, you know, Stranger Things, we don't we don't necessarily get some of the uh, the details uh, of some of the characters like like is uh, presented in here. Um, you know, quite the same way. Mostly because you know they're running around having to fight monsters, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, the coming of age has to come in between the fighting of the monsters. And yeah, she does do art with her dandruff. That's that's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, my. My my uh you know join us and you know I named the after party after this quote so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh you know what I got this year it was a banner year at the old Bender family I got a carton of cigarettes the old man grabbed me and said hey smoke up Johnny. Mm -hmm.